Hi, Crossroads. How are you today? It is so good to see you. Come on, stand up with us this morning. We're in the house of the Lord. We are going to praise His name because this is the day that the Lord has made. We are going to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. someone you don't know, maybe someone that is just uh, visiting today. We want to let you know that you're so welcome here. We are so 
for praising God this morning in song. Go ahead and have a seat, please. Well, good morning. Good morning. You guys sound great. It sounds awesome in here. Good to be with you all. We're glad that you are all here. I want to send a, a special shout out to all of our guests. Please stop by the Welcome Center in the foyer. Um, we have a gift for you, and we'd also love to connect with you and talk with you. And so please stop by the Welcome Center over in the foyer as you're on your way out, and we'd love to talk with you and just to hang out and just get to know you. It's good to know somebody. Everybody needs to know somebody. It's important, so please stop by the Welcome Center. Uh, church, I want to also say, as you look in your bulletin, we are quickly, uh, it feels like, you know, Thanksgiving was like a year away, and then here it was, you know, just a few days ago. So we are getting uh, into Christmas, as you can see around me and in the foyer. Uh, it looks great, don't it? Yeah, it looks good. And, uh, and so a couple things I want to share with you. One is that we have our Ernie Haas uh, concert and dessert on the 14th and 15th of December. So you can get your tickets on our website. Just check out our website. There's information in your bulletin as well. Uh, but this is going to be a great. Both nights are identical. So each night there's going to be a concert. And then over in the gym there's going to be dessert. So if I didn't get you with music, did I get you with dessert? So come on out 14th and 15th, get your tickets, and invite someone to come on up with you on the 14th and 15th. Check out our website for more information on Ernie Haas and Signature Sound. It will be a great time. And then our Christmas Eve gatherings are 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m., all identical candlelight gatherings. And so come on out for Christmas Eve, and it's always a special time here at Crossroads, and we're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so come on out on Christmas Eve, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. And again, invite someone to come with you. Don't assume. Never assume. My grandmother taught me that. <laughs> never assume that somebody has a place to call home as their church. So come, just ask them, and come, just say, come with me. Just say, come with me, and then maybe you go get dessert after or go do something. I don't know. But just invite them to come out for Christmas Eve, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. And then, uh, Rhonda, why don't you come up and tell us about the Christmas choir. So we got this Christmas choir, and uh, I know that uh, I did not make the tryouts, but maybe these lovely people could. I'm just kidding. Maybe these people could make the tryouts. So. Actually, Luke can sing. I've heard him sing, so we um, may have to have him uh, recruited for this. Okay, our Christmas choir, we haven't done one for a few years, and we just kind of thought it would be a good thing to bring back this year. If you can sing and carry a tune, if you have a loving relationship and the Lord is Savior of your life and you love Christmas music, we want you to join us. We're going to do two specials um, for Christmas Eve, and we're going to have a couple practices coming up um, in the next couple weeks. But if you're interested in joining us and just hanging out with a group of people that just love singing for the Lord, we want to invite you to do that. So you can do it two ways. You can either email me here at the church, or if you have um, the blue card in front of you, the Connect card, you can write your name on there, write your um, email address and phone number, and I will contact you. But it's just that time of year where you just really enjoy singing and praising God for coming to the earth for each one of us just so that we could spend eternity with him. So what better way than to lift our voices in song? So if you're interested, please contact me because we're going to be having those practices coming up um, just within the next week or two. Thanks. Thanks, Rhonda. And then our birthday gift to Jesus. Every year we, 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 we ask the church to pray and to ask God to just provide. And here's what we do. We say we're going to give the most to Jesus than anyone else on our Christmas list. And so in your bulletin there's a, a printout that has a list of all kinds of different missionaries. And so every year we do this. And uh, it's, it's really special. Uh, it's really, really special because we ask God to provide above and beyond, and uh, he provides uh, for the needs of these missionaries. And so our goal is $100,000 that we're asking God to provide for these missionaries. 
And uh, before I share where we're at, I want you to see this uh, special video from James, Pastor James Lee Tika in the Philippines. Uh, Pastor Al and uh, Linda are, have served with uh, James Lee over in the Philippines, and he has a special update uh, what's going on in the Philippines. So check this video out. Good morning, or should I say good evening uh, to you all there at Crossroads Ministries. It's so nice to be able to... Uh, I'll share with you a little bit, uh, Pastor Ken and the staff, and of course my brother Al and my sister uh, Linda Lois. Uh, good morning and maligayang Pasko sa inyo lahat. Merry Christmas to all of you. It's an honor for me to be able to report to you a little bit about what we are doing right now and where we are when it comes to ministry. Of course, as you know, this is my beautiful wife Isa, and yes, she brings the looks and the brains together in the family. Our uh, post-pandemic ministry has... Um, uh, actually enlarged more than anything else. Uh, we continue with our uh, orphan and foster care outreach to the aged out orphans. Currently, we have 18 uh, in-house with us over at the church. Um, we've taken in more than 50 since we started ministering with them in 2016. Uh, and many of them have uh, moved on and, and done great things and moved on with their life. We are thankful and proud to have our first graduate uh, for our Bible school, his name is Eman. He was a uh, uh, foundling and um, uh, abuse survivor, and he graduated this past year uh, with uh, our Bible school and is now serving full-time and teaching. This is our current batch right here with my wife, you see on the left, and my sister. There you go. And we continue on uh, with our ministries, having re uh, received awards from the Philippine National Police. This is with our uh, current uh, PNP Chief Gerald Acorda with our ministries, with the, uh, with the police all over the country. God is opening so many doors for us to be able to do that. Of course, our tribal ministries, as you can see here, we have a new tribe we're working with. Uh, apart from the ones that we're working with in Mindanao, this is the one in Palawan, with uh, the tribes in Palawan, the Batak tribes. Our Bible school students and seminary students have I've been working there and done immersion ministries there also in Palawan. Um, we also started our evangelism already. We had more than 2,000 in attendance over the past uh, month. We had 877 to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of those are wanting to serve God full time. My wife and I have since uh, become broadcasters at uh, FEBC as volunteers. And we have a program every Tuesday uh, morning. Uh, and God has opened up doors for us in that radio and television ministry. The sun continues to rise in ministry here in the Philippines. And because of your partnership here, uh, we will understand even more so that we've had more than 50 people, more than 50 have come to know Christ. 50 pastors, 55 pastors, ministers, and teachers all over the country have started since our partnership. And to that, we say thank you so much. And as I close with this Philippine Christmas Lantern, I want to greet you all again. Mabuhay po kayong lahat. Long live to all of you. Maligayang Pasko. At mahal na mahal po namin kayo. Merry Christmas to you all. We love you and we hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for your faithful partnership and prayers. They are so much uh, felt over on this side of the world. God bless you all. Mabuhay kayong lahat at maligayang Pasko. That, uh, we get to be a part of that. Isn't that amazing? Like, we get to be a part of what God's doing in the Philippines. Because, listen, God's heart isn't just for one 
small town. It's for the whole world. God so loved the world. And so our heart is for the Lord, is for the whole world. So check out where we are at, church. Look at where we're at. 37,000. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Can we thank God for that? Listen, that's amazing. So continue to pray about your part, how you can give the most to Jesus this Christmas season. As we worship the Lord, uh, we're going to have a special uh, uh, music here in a second. But let me pray for us. And before I do that, uh, church, thank you for being faithful and giving. Uh, you can give online through the mail or the offering boxes in the church. But um, as we continue to worship the Lord and grow in our walk with him and understand more about what he wants for us, uh, we give. And so thank you, church, for giving um, towards that mission to see people come to know Christ. So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here in this building. God, it's, uh, it's truly a privilege to be here um, as we all get together, Lord, from all kinds of different uh, weeks. Lord, our, our, even our days, our mornings all look different. Um, Lord, our home situations. Lord, you know all, the, the, you know all the, the joys that we're facing, and you know all the, the valleys, um, the hardships that we're facing. Um, we can bring those to you. We can say, hey, God, this is what's going on in my life, and you already know. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be comforted this morning, that we would be convicted, Lord, as we read from the Bible and understand how your truth from the Bible can change us, Lord. And so we need your help uh, to do that. Open up our eyes, open up our ears and our hearts um, so that we can take in what you want us to take in today and to learn what you want us to learn. God, so be with your people um, as we open up your word this morning and as we grow. Uh, we love you so much. In your name, amen.
Christmas, sweetheart. Christmas, eh? Never thought the day would come. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. Humbug! Who's in charge of this parade? When you find out, you tell me. All our holidays were always such a mess. That's ridiculous. <laughs> money, money, money. Keep the change, you filthy animals. Some people, they just lose sight of what's important in life. Stop this whole thing. What? You sit on a throne of lies. Is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Happy birthday! One thing about trains. It doesn't matter where they're going. What matters is deciding to get on. Well, the Christmas season is here. How many of you have put up your tree already? Raise your hand if you put your tree up, right? There's a few of you. How many had it up before Thanksgiving? All right, you people broke the law. You're not allowed to do that before Thanksgiving. I have a rule in our house. You can't put up your tree until after Thanksgiving, all right? So, but some people just love Christmas. They put up their tree. I've seen some of them go up at the end of October, and they come down in Easter, all right? So it's amazing how people love their trees, right? So we have a lot of fun at Christmas time. Everybody has something different that they do, and you have your different traditions of Christmas. Um, I, I love the holidays. I love, like, this weekend being Thanksgiving was such a fun time. Uh, being with family and sharing and pumpkin pie. Of course, pumpkin pie makes everything taste better, doesn't it? It's amazing what happens there. I was glad to see our, our uh, some of our college students home from college, like Reagan on the uh, on the harp there. Wasn't that awesome? Let's thank God for Reagan today. We're glad to have her home. And on the electric guitar, we had Xavier Snyder. Let's thank God for Xavier today. Yeah. I was sitting down there, I was like, we got the coolest church. We got a harp, and then all of a sudden I hear this electric rip going on the guitar. I'm like, we have, this is our family. We're worshiping God together, and all all these people are using their gifts and talents. So let's thank God for our worship team. Huh? What an awesome, awesome day we've had today. But I, I love the I love this time of year when you get to see some of these kids getting back in and see these people coming around, and uh, and just, just how that... Uh, the college kids are getting plugged back in. And as we see today here going into Christmas, it's, uh, you have a lot of memories, and, a, and that's what Christmas does. It's a time when families come back together, and you remember the different family times. And so we're going to be studying a little bit of the, the Christmas classics. And as we did this, I sat down with the staff. I said, hey, I'm going to share some, uh, a series called Christmas Classics, and give me some of your favorite Christmas movies. So uh, one of the Christmas movies that they gave me was White Christmas. And I said, well, I didn't realize that was a movie. I knew that was a song. I didn't know that was a movie. And so they, what they did was they, they gave, us, uh, gave me those titles. I went out and I watched them. And I said, well, we're going we're gonna to try this White Christmas. And so uh, White Christmas was a movie made in 1954. So it definitely makes itself a classic, right? It was made in 1954. And the setting is 1944. In 1944, uh, the movie starts out, and uh, you see Bing Crosby there in the movie, and he starts, and he's entertaining. Uh, I believe the characters are named Phil and Bob, or no, Bob and, um, yeah, Bob and something, anyhow. 
Film Bob, yeah, Film Bob. So Film Bob, they are. These are the two main characters in the movie, and they are going to be doing this entertaining. So they got all the GIs down, and they are just longing for Christmas. And we'll start out the beginning of the movie here as they long for Christmas. Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen To hear sleigh bells in the snow going off all around the uh, the soldiers there they are trying to have some sort of a christmas eve and the, the christmas eve uh, entertainment is going on and uh, you could see they focused in on the general the general comes in and he is actually going to announce them that he's retiring so he ends up retiring and the movie moves forward and uh, but what you can see is this longing for christmas longing to go back home and uh, that's, uh, that, that song was actually written with a sense of hope, a sense of hope of going back to this perfect Christmas, going back to that white Christmas. Uh, the actual song was, uh, was written by Irving Berlin, uh, Berlin, and Irving Berlin was from Russia, and he goes to Palm Springs, California, and he writes this song, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. And it uh, was made, uh, written originally in 1940. And so there's this sense of hope for in the war. Man, I'm longing for something. And so there's a big sense of hope. And so the, the White Christmas uh, movie continues on. As you go through the movie, uh, you see the two characters, Phil and Bob. That's uh, Bob Hope and Danny Kay. These two are now, they get on the road. And as they're, they're on the road, they're this, uh, this entertainment act. They've gotten out of the service. They're in this entertainment act. They end up uniting with these two ladies, the Haynes sisters, and they, uh, they follow them up to Vermont. And as they get up to Vermont, they, uh, they want to see the Haynes sisters perform up there, and they're, they're just taken in by these ladies. And uh, as they go up there <clears throat> to, to see this performance, they walk in and they find out that the owner of the inn, so it's an inn that is where they're performing, the owner of the inn is none other than the retired general, right? So the retired general stands up and he meets them and, uh, you know, at ease, relax, I'm retired. Uh, but here he was, this was his second life. He's basically saying, hey, you know, I couldn't do anything in the service and now I'm failing outside of the service. So my, the, the, way, the way that I'm living is, is failing. And so he's just going through and it's a, like a hopelessness situation right there. 
Um, and so as the drama continues, and there's always, you know, all kind of stuff that they've got into the storyline there, but they get up to the very end, and what had happened was there was no snow in Vermont. He was hoping that he would be successful. He was going to, uh, this gentleman was going to resurrect this old business of this inn and by entertainment and getting people to come to a Christmas show. But in Vermont, nobody goes to Vermont just to see Vermont. They want to come to the Christmas snow. And so without snow, he didn't have a show. And, uh, and so, uh, the, the two characters, Phil and Bob, they end up rounding up a bunch of their friends. They end up getting the word out to all the former GIs that were in his platoon. And, uh, and all these people come, they fill this place up and they put on this big, incredible show. I'm going to show you now the closing scene of the movie here with the big, incredible show. That's it. Get the candles up. Keep them way up high. Okay, Byron. Davis said, Pat, you know, we've got to get some loot. We've got to take the show to Chicago or oh, no, Boston. No, no. I, I can't make it. I'm going to be very busy. I, wait a minute. I'll join you.
so the song is now one of the timeless classics of Christmas. May your days be merry and bright, and may all your Christmases be white. And there's some sort of longing, like there's something inside of all of us that says, man, I just want that Christmas to be perfect. Um, <clears throat> in Pittsburgh, you've got a decent chance of getting snow for Christmas, right? You've got a decent chance of a white Christmas. I remember a few years back, we were having Christmas Eve up here, and the forecast was for snow. And we were, uh, we were having a full day of services. And as we left outside after, I think it was a 6 o'clock service, there was a couple inches of snow on the ground. And it was anything but beautiful because I had to get 300 people home out of this place, right? So it was, uh, it was, it was definitely a wonderful season, but uh, not, not too much fun at that moment. But I want you to think about this because as you're, as you're thinking about how um, just this great timeless classic, and this is what the classics do. The classics bring out different emotions. They try to, try to help you find something about this whole Christmas, but the Hollywood and all the things of the world can't even scratch the surface to what Christmas really is. And I think that God has something so much more for you than to just have a good day of a holiday. God wants to change your life. He wants to radically get a hold of your life. He wants to get inside of your heart and change you from the inside out. And that's what, see, the, the, the whole, uh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, that was a, a, young, a, a, learn, a yearning, a longing for hope. As we approach Christmas season, I want us to remember what God's perspective on Christmas is. You know, my perspective is I want a white Christmas and I want it to be merry and bright. But let me give you God's perspective on Christmas. God's perspective on Christmas is Christmas had to happen in order for you to have a white heart. In order for you to have a clean heart. Look what he says in Isaiah 1.18. Though your sins are like scarlet. Read it with me. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Uh, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. See, that's the real white Christmas right there. The whole thing about Christmas, uh, when Jesus came, it actually had to go red before it had to go white. It had to go to the cross. Jesus had to come and make it to the cross. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There's no remission of sin. And so as we look at Christmas, um, what, what, what's the deal with Christmas? Look at the events around Christmas. How did it happen? Well, let's look here at what the Apostle Paul tells us about it. He says in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's you and I that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. So God has redeemed us that we may be adopted into the family of God. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come. That's when the first Christmas appeared. The fullness of time. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. It says, when the proper time had fully come. I want you to think of a glass that's sitting on the table. And as you take this glass and you keep filling it up, you just keep adding to the glass, adding to the glass, adding to the glass. Pretty soon the glass is full. And this is what happened. Take the glass throughout the generations, throughout the history. Why did God come whenever he came? 
Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did he not come earlier? Why didn't he come later? Why didn't he wait till modern times? Why did he come? Why didn't he go earlier in the Old Testament times? Uh, why? Why in that particular culture did, did he come? Why in this particular moment did Jesus come? And the scripture says here, when the fullness of time has come, when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son. Now, in the movie, it seemed as though the, uh, the perfect timing for the snow to come. There was no snow in Vermont. It was a rare thing. No snow in Vermont until what? Until they're having the play. Everybody gets to the end. And if you go watch the movie, White Christmas, you'll see that while they're having a couple scenes, they come out and they're like, hey, look outside. And it magically started snowing. And at just the right time, there was snow. And so they're ready for their closing. And they say, rule the tree out and open that barn door so we can all see the snow. Because isn't it incredible how at just the right time it snows on Christmas Eve, right? So we see at just the right time the snow came. Well, let me tell you, at just the right time, Jesus came. And Jesus came to, uh, to give you way more than a little warm fuzzy over a holiday. Jesus came that you might have eternal life. And, and he's got far more going for you than any timing of a movie or any special effects. He is the special effect. He has got the whole plan. And so today I'd like to share with you um, that how he promised for thousands of years and at just the right time Jesus came to us. So a couple thoughts here this morning is this. Number one, God always keeps his appointments. Would you say that with me? God always keeps his appointments. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this. Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. This was the season. This was the time when Jesus was to come. And as we look back to 2,000 years ago, that was the season when Jesus left heaven and came down to this earth. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 says that the Lord is not slack or slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I think that's a big key word there. Repentance. Turn from your sin to Jesus. That's what God, God didn't come so that you could just keep, hey, keep living your life and, and, and feeling good about everything the way you want it. Jesus didn't come so that you could just enjoy life and that you could stay in your sin and that you could rot in your sin. He came so that you could turn from it and turn to him. And he says here that the Lord is not slack in keeping his promise about the return of Jesus when he comes back again. You know, um, as we are waiting here today, it's been 2,000 years since these promises, since Peter wrote this, roughly about 2,000 years, that the Lord is not slack, is not slow in keeping his promises, as some count slackness, as some say that, he, that he's just not keeping his promise. Well, as you go back into the Old Testament, I want you to catch this. Now, 2,000 years, and we know that he's going to come. And by the way, you should have no fear over the second coming of the Lord unless you haven't turned to Jesus. Turn to Jesus, repent of your sin, turn to him, and God says you'll be his child. You're going to be with him forever. So when that moment happens, boom, it's over, it's done. So there's nothing for us to worry about leading up to it. But some people say, oh, he's, he's never coming back because we've been talking about it for 2,000 years. Well, let me give you the other side of the story. From the first promise of creation, at the, at the very beginning of creation, when Adam and Eve sinned, God gave a promise that he would come. He would come to, uh, he would send the deliverer. 
And so from Genesis 3.15 on, the whole rest of the Bible is telling us the story of the redemption of God. So you have several thousand years that God makes his promise that he will come back, uh, that he will send the Redeemer to, to the earth. And Jesus does. And when does he do it? He does it in the fullness of time, when the whole stage was set. I like what Charles Spurgeon says here. He says, there are no loose threads in the providence of God. No stitches are dropped. No events are left to chance. The great clock of the universe keeps good time. And the whole machinery of providence moves with unerring punctuality. You see, God keeps his appointments. He has an appointment and he's keeping his appointment. That's what the first Christmas was all about. That's what the second coming will be about. When he returns, he will keep his promise. If you go into the book of, Je- uh, book of um, Mark, you'll see that Jesus, as he starts his earthly ministry, Mark goes through and, and gives you a little uh, background there. First of all, he shows you how that Jesus goes down to get baptized. Uh, he goes down to see John and he gets baptized. He goes into the wilderness to be tempted. He comes back and he starts his public ministry. And Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, the first words that Mark record of Jesus in his, his rendition of the gospel, he says, the time is fulfilled. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he's saying, listen, the time is now here. My ministry is beginning. And so he starts the ministry and he says, listen, turn to God and believe in the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled. Um, If you go through and you look and you'll see that, listen, God does not need time. God operates outside of time. Now, when we, when we see this, that God operates outside of time, but you and I, we operate on time. We have, we have a time, like this morning, 11 o'clock. That is the appointed time, right? That's the appointed time that we start this service. So it doesn't matter what's going on. 11 o'clock is what we're doing. Um, if, we, if we go through, we are on time. You have a time for dinner. You have a time for everything. Uh, the Scripture says there's a time for everything under the sun. But God himself does not operate on time. He's on the outside of time. He's above time, yet he chose to send Jesus out of eternity and into time. And as he steps out of eternity into time, he steps into our world and he says that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. He started his ministry. There were other times that Jesus said, my time has not yet come. Uh, the miracle when he was uh, rated, uh, when he was going to turn water into wine. Look what he says to his mother in John chapter two verse four. He says, "My hour has not yet come." He's saying, "Look, there's time. This time issue. It's it's, it's not time yet." Uh, they tried to take Jesus by force and make him king. John chapter seven. He says, "My time has not yet come." Oh, the time had come for him to come to earth. It was the appointed time. It was the fullness of time. And then as he, Jesus lived the perfect life, sinned, no sin in him. There was no sin. He was sinless. Goes all the way up. He starts his ministry. They want to crown him king right away because they, they see this great hope that he brings, the great fulfillment that he brings. And they, he says, no, it's not time yet. However, at the Last Supper, he got up to wash his disciples' feet. And, uh, and he says this, the, the scriptures tell us in John chapter 13, verse 1, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his time had come 
to leave this world and return to his father. He knew that the time had come. In his prayer, John 17, 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. My time has come now. Glorify your son and that you may also be glorified in him, that your son may also glorify you. You see, folks, God makes appointments, and he always keeps his appointments. He always keeps his appointments. And I think God has an appointment for some of you here today, this morning. God has an appointment. God, when God makes an appointment, he always keeps his appointments. And his appointment is, first of all, to give you that heart that is whiter than snow, to take away those sins, to wash away those sins, and not to just send you back into your old world, but to give you a whole new life, a whole new trajectory for God. Secondly, this morning, God's time is always the right time. Would you say that with me? God's time is always the right time. Uh, As we look at time itself, time itself is divided by B.C. and A.D. It's divided by Jesus. Jesus is the, 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 the one where we split time. The only person worthy of splitting time with over was Jesus. So you look at all the history of the world, we see the history of the world before Jesus, and then we see the history of the world after Jesus. So what made this the fullness of time? What made this the right time? Well, it was the right time spiritually. I'm going to give you three ways that it was the right time. First of all, it was the right time spiritually. Um, there was a hunger for spiritual things. Historians tell us that the Romans had a hunger for spiritual things during the season when Jesus came to this earth. There was a general hunger in the general population in the Roman Empire for spiritual things, more than ever before. There was the influence of the Jews. The Jews were monotheistic. Remember, the Romans, they were polytheistic, right? So they had many gods. And so whenever they saw these Jews come along, they were intrigued by the Jews. Um, In 332 B.C., Alexander the Great took over Jerusalem. And he told the Jews to colonize the world. He gave them that freedom. He encouraged them to spread what they believe and their culture into different parts of the world. So Jews in different places in the Roman Empire, with their belief system greatly influenced other people, these polytheistics. They greatly influenced them. Why? Because people saw these people worship only one God. See, the Greeks had the the God of the storm, the God of the good, the God of this, the God of that. And uh, all those, we know them today as the Greek mythological gods. That's what those people actually were worshiping. And whenever they saw the monotheistic Jews come along, the, they claimed that they had the, the, the God and they, that they had some sort of connection, some sort of relationship with him. Well, they were intrigued by that. Later on, it became a polarizing effect. But at the time when Jesus came, it was the right time because it was spiritually, people were hungry. There was a hunger for spiritual things. Rome had conquered the world. The, the gods of the culture... That had been conquered. So they did not save them. And so Rome had come along and was conquering up the world. They were open to an alternative belief system. And so the Jews believed in a Messiah. And so as the Jews came along and they believed in the Messiah, they believed in the deliverer, and they saw this promise 
and they keep talking about the Jews. They were hungry. The Jews were waiting. They were anticipating that one day our deliverer will come. One day life will change because we are uh, our deliverer. The promise will be fulfilled that Jesus, the Messiah, would come. Although they didn't know his name would be Jesus. They just knew that the Messiah would come. They knew that the deliverer would one day come. So the Romans believed also in a deliverer. The Jews did, but now also the Romans did. And, and the Romans, it was said that, the, that they were looking for a king, a savior, somebody that would, that would be a deliverer for the Romans. Uh, one of the Roman poets by the name of Virgil announced that Caesar Augustus was the ideal savior, the ideal king. The one who would fulfill all of the expectations of humanity. And this is, this is what, what Virgil said. He said, this one will be the divine king bringing, he said this of Caesar Augustus. This one will be the divine king bringing salvation of which the world has waited. They were already open to a deliverer coming. The world was spiritually ripe for both the Romans and the Jews. The expectations of a, of a Messiah uh, for the Jews was coming at an all-time high. There was a hunger for this. One rabbi said it like this, Rabbi Abba Hillel Silver. He was uh, influential in 1948 for the American support of the founding of the Jewish state of Israel in 1948. He said this, he said, Prior to the first century, the Messianic interest was not excessive. The first century, however especially the generation before the destruction of the second temple, witnessed a remarkable outburst of messianic emotionalism. When Jesus came into Galilee, spreading the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, he was voicing the opinion universally held at the age of the kingdom of God was at hand. The Messiah was expected around the second quarter of the first century of the Christian era. That's exactly when Jesus came. And I want you to catch this because as, as you're reading the Bible and you see John the Baptist is out there, he's baptizing people. And they come to John and they say, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Well, this is why. Because there was a heightened sense. There was an expectation. People were learn, uh, yearning for the, the Messiah, for their deliverer to come. Because they had studied the scriptures and they knew the prophecies. I'll show you an interesting prophecy here. This is from Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. And what happened was Jacob was going around and he was to, to all of his sons and he was making a prophecy. He says, this is what the things to be, what the end days will be like for you. And he gets down to Judah here in, in Genesis 49. He says, the, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So there's this prophecy that the, that the rule, the authority, the scepter, that's authority, right? So that the, the rule, the authority shall not depart from Judah, Israel, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means peace giver. Shiloh, uh, the Old Testament scholars believe, was the, was the foretelling of the, when you saw Shiloh, it meant the Messiah. The rabbis, they look at this verse and they say, this tells us that this one, the Messiah, would come. So the, 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 the authority shall not depart 
until Shiloh comes. And what happens here, as you go throughout history, Josephus, the, the, the uh, Jewish historian, tells us that in the first quarter of the first century, when the Romans took over, right around 6, I think it's 6 to 8 uh, A.D., they took the right of tribal rule from Judah. So they had been oppressed, uh, but they could still they could make their own you know their own judgments. They could take care of life, make decisions for capital punishment. They had the right of birth and the right of death. All right, but whenever this happened during this time, the Romans took over. They took the right of tribal rule from Judah, and they could no longer make those decisions. And when that happened, the Jewish Sanhedrin actually put on sackcloth and ashes. And they marched through the streets of Jerusalem. And listen to what they cried. They cried, the scepter has departed from Judah, but Shiloh has not come. And so what they were doing, the religious leaders were saying, woe is me because God did not keep his promise. We have given our life to these Old Testament prophecies. And here the scepter has departed. Woe are we. And so they're in sackcloth and ashes. And little did they understand that in their very midst was the Messiah. Most scholars will put the birth of Jesus roughly 4 B.C. This is roughly 6 B.C. You're talking a 9-year-old, 10-year-old child. What did Jesus do? What do we know that Jesus did? Where did he spend a lot of his time as a child even? In the temple. So these temple leaders are mourning. The scepter has gone and they're looking right at the Messiah in their very midst. And they did not even realize it until Shiloh, until the Messiah has come. You see, they believed that God had broke his promise. And Jesus was right there already on the scene. And let, let me tell you what else was, was right uh, about that day, about that time. It was culturally right. The, the culture was ready for, for the Messiah. There was uh, something that happened here. It was called a trade language uh, with, the, with the Romans and the, and, and the trade language of the Greek, okay? So Alexander the Great, he thought that the whole world should be Hellenized. That means become uh, adapted to the, to the Greek uh, to, to how Greek culture was and the Greek language. And so he took the, uh, Alexander the Great took the Greek language as far as he could over to India, uh, to the east. And then after Alexander the Great dies, Roman, Roman Empire comes on the scene and the Roman Empire takes it to the west. And so we have a Greek language that becomes a trade language. And so let me tell you, the, the Greek language is the most precise um, instrument, most precise language to convey every human thought. I've taken a number of Greek courses, um, and let me tell you, Greek almost took me. Uh, they are not easy courses. I, I, I am, I'm not even very good at English, ain't I? So it's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not your, you know, it's like languages are hard. Some people are brilliant at languages. Um, whenever I took these, and let me just give you a few things here about the, about the Greek language. Uh, the nouns, they're very descriptive, and they, they precisely describe things. So the nouns have to agree with the adjectives, and there are seven cases for Greek nouns. Let me give them to you. They are nominative, genitive, ablative, dative, locative, instrumental, and accusative. All of that is in one noun. 
It will tell you how it functions. It will tell you how, to, uh, how the adjective has to, to agree, and the adjective has to agree. All the verbs have a tense. There's past tense, future tense. Um, there's also the action is continuous, or the action is over, or the action is intermittent. And so you have this very complicated, very descriptive language. The verbs have tenses. They'll tell you if it also has a voice, if it's an active voice, an indicative voice, an imperative voice. The action is real or the action is potential. And so as you had this, this language that was universal, like the whole world could, like they had their different languages, but as we have English today, Greek was the universal language of the day. And that wasn't so at all this past history. And so you want to talk about the right time. It was just the right time. Because as the good news was proclaimed, the message went flying out of Israel all around the world. Because the message wasn't just for Israel. The message wasn't just for the Jewish people. He came as a Jew, but it wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for the world that they may know Christ. And so God had that all set up. It was the right time politically. It was just the right time politically. Uh, it was a, a season known as the Pax Romano, as we call it in history. You go in, uh, and you look through history and you look up what the Pax Romano was. It was a period of years from 27 B.C. to about 180 A.D. There were about 200 years of relative peace. Uh, uh, lack of, uh, com- uh, uh, of uh, 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 military conflict, if you will. And so peace at that time created a lot of stability. The, the, the culture just grew. The culture was flourishing. People were communicating. You had this Roman language that people could communicate. And now politically you have a time of stability. So while it was oppression to the Jews, it was for the world a time of relative stable peace. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the Romans, they built roads. God used the Roman road system. There were 250,000 miles of roads that the Romans, that they they made of roads. 250,000 miles. Now think about that in that day without the technology that we have today. You know how long it takes to see Route 43 get finished, right? They're building that bridge over there. I'm thinking maybe before my grandchildren are born. No, no. Hopefully they get born quicker than that. I mean, I don't have any on the way. I'm just telling you, nothing's happening that I know of, okay? But I've been, I've been begging. Anyhow, let's move on, all right? Uh, uh, you know, maybe before my grandchildren live their whole life and die, that road may be done. But the Romans came, and they developed 250,000 miles of roads, 50,000 miles of which were paved. And they were paved using the cobble pavers. I think we have a road or two left like that in Pittsburgh. If you go down Capitol Avenue in Brookline, you'll know what I'm talking about. You just kind of rumble the whole way down, and that's a great pizza shop at the bottom, all right? So you just kind of go down there. But listen, in the days of Rome, the Roman Empire, they had all these roads and travel. It was said that travel, <laughs> this is really interesting, travel became increasingly fast. You could go up to 20 miles in one day on these roads. Up to 20 miles a day. So here's what was happening. There was a new time. It was a new era. And Jesus came at just the right time. Folks, your salvation. Jesus came. He had an appointment to the cross. He's going to keep that appointment. He has an appointment with the manger. He keeps that. And God keeps his appointments. And his timing is always correct. Folks, I want to encourage you today. 
that God's timing in your life is, per, is perfect. Don't give up following God for anything. God's called you. Believers, as a believer, He's called you to a new life. He hasn't called you to go out and meet your own fleshly desires. He's called you to meet His desires. He's called you to surrender, to to come unto Him. All that are weak or heavy laden. That's what, yeah, that's what we all do. We were. And He says, now I will give you rest. He wants to give you rest. You won't find rest in a relationship. You won't find rest in a job. You won't find rest in a holiday that's just right. You see, folks, Jesus didn't come just so that you could have a perfect Christmas with snow on Christmas Day. We don't always understand God's timing. Listen, the nation of Israel did not understand God's timing. They were waiting and waiting and waiting, and then when Jesus showed up, they rejected him. I can't even comprehend that. Like they've been waiting. There there was a sense of eagerness, a sense of spiritual uh, heightened awareness in the whole world, and then when Jesus comes, they go, ah, he's not because we want it to look something different. I think many Christians are doing that today. Many Christians are saying, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to make my own Jesus. I'm going I'm to throw out because Jesus wouldn't let this happen. Jesus wouldn't let my feelings be this way. Jesus wouldn't let this, these, uh, the, these circumstances happen. Jesus wouldn't let my job go. And we let all these things happen. In the meantime, God says, all I want you to do is keep following me. This day could be the perfect time in your life, folks. God just might be bringing you into personal confidence and trust in Him today. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Could it be that today is your day? Could it be that God has an appointment for you here today? 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, the day of sal- is the day of salvation. Folks, Jesus came... So that though your sins are scarlet, they will be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Like God will cleanse you. He'll give you a new path. He'll give you a new life. And that's what God's called us to. And so at this Christmas time, I want to invite you to understand that this is the right season. Jesus came in the right season He came at just the right time. He keeps his appointments and his timing is just right. And may all your Christmases be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. I pray that, oh yeah, I want you to have fun. But listen, God wants so much more than fun. He wants to give you something that is soul changing. And I pray that your Christmases will be whiter than snow in your Januarys, in your Februarys, in your March, in your April, and your family will become whiter than snow, and that your children will become whiter than snow. They'll be washed in the blood of the Lamb of God Almighty, and He will transform your life. But the question is this. God has an appointment with you today. Are you going to accept it, or are you going to reject it? Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed here this morning. If you've not yet opened your heart to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray right now and trust Him and say, Dear Jesus, just pray something like this to Him. Dear Jesus, I come before you.
And I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, you came at just the right time. You were born in a manger. You lived a perfect life. You rose again the third day. And God, I open my heart to you right now. At just the right time, you're stepping into my life. And for others in here, maybe you've been following Jesus for some time. But God has been working in your heart. Maybe you're under conviction of something this morning. Maybe God has been knocking at your heart and you need to realize that this is the right time to obey the Lord God Almighty. Hear the word of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Don't fool yourself. Turn to Jesus, whether this is your first time or you've been walking away from Him for many years, or maybe you've just slid into something, turn to God today. Maybe this morning you're, you're disappointed in the way life has gone. Maybe you're disappointed and you just are giving up the weight. You're giving up the weight and you're, you're saying God didn't keep His promise. Just like those leaders did, but boy, the answer, the promise was right under their nose. And they rejected the very promise. Could the same be happening to you today? God's working in your life and you want to choose different. I invite you to come to Jesus today. Because he keeps his appointments. And his time is always right. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have come. That our sins, though they are scarlet will be whiter than snow. God, be with each believer as we make decisions to follow you. Lord, be with each each new person, Lord, each one that has just opened their hearts to you today. And Lord, for those that are in our service that could possibly still be unbelievers, that you will open their hearts to the right time of God in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together this morning and sing our closing song.